you have a Bible with you this morning, brought one along, maybe you have one on your phone, um, will you turn to uh, Romans chapter 5? If you don't have one, there's uh, Bibles in the racks around you, or you can uh, grab one of the free ones in the back when you leave this morning. There's free ones on the table back there. I'd love to put a Bible in your hand. Best thing you can own, right, New Hope? It is. Best thing you can own. Before we get into Romans 5, I want to introduce you to somebody who is new to staff. Um, he just joined staff this last week, and Kyle Denny's going to come up here and join me for a moment. I want you to meet Kyle because he's going to be taking on some pretty significant areas of responsibility. First of all, notice that I did not give him a microphone, so he does not get to talk. He's just going to stand there and take it, right? Okay. So the uh, best part about Kyle is that he's married to Chelsea, and... <laughs> And uh, Kyle and Chelsea are expecting their first little one in June, and we know the gender? Boy. Boy, okay. Carry the man genes, all right. Okay, so um, we've got, got a little boy coming, but Kyle is going to be taking on um, areas of finance and areas of administration. Specifically, many of you know Gene Post, and Gene has been our finance director for a long time since we started. And come this fall, she's going to be backing out of her responsibilities. So between now and then, she and Kyle are going to work together, and he's going to be picking that area up, as well as he's going to become pastor over small groups and connections. So for people who are new to the church, Kyle's job is to help them get connected into the life of the church. And he's going to be picking up areas of administration from Gary as Gary backs down because by fall of this year, Gary's going to become completely uh, pastor over care ministries, which is counseling and marriage, uh, weddings and funerals, things like that. So be praying for Kyle because he's got a, a big job ahead of him and I wanted you to meet him. So give him a welcome to New Hope. Would you do that? Thanks, Kyle. Let's pray together before we step into this passage. Father, we recognize that this is a, a very difficult task in front of us to take on these particular verses, not for you, but for us. Um, written in another time and in a structure of language that may not seem the easiest, but yet you have purpose in it in speaking into our life. And you caused Paul to write it down so that we would understand more about you and more about who we are to you. So, Father, I know that you would speak to us corporately, but I, I pray that you would speak to us individually. For every man, for every woman, for every student, for every child who's sitting here. For those who are watching online right now, God. That this would resonate with us. That you care so much about us that you want us to understand these things. So, Father, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us the ability to do that very thing. That we would understand it and apply it to our life. We pray for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. There is a massive theological statement before we get to Romans 5 in the book of Colossians. And in Colossians, I, I want you to see this and chew on it for just a moment because it really is kind of an anchor verse for Romans chapter 5 and where we're going this morning. You'll see Colossians chapter 2 pop up on the screen. And in Colossians chapter 2, this statement is made about who Jesus is. And it says, for in Him, meaning in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity dwells, meaning all of God dwells in bodily form. And then it finishes out the statement by saying, and in Him, you have been made complete. How do you get your mind around that? That full God, 
fullness of the one who spoke the world into existence. Not just planet earth, but all of the worlds, all of the universe through his power is poured into a human body. That's what it's saying. Fully God, fully man. That's where we understand it from, right there from God's own word. Now, I can understand the fully man part because I are one. That makes sense to me. I get that. But the fullness of the one who is God in man. How do I grasp that? And the implications for it are found in the last part. And in Him, you have been made, what church? Complete. Isn't that what we all long for? That we would be more? That we would be complete? We desire that. God says, if you're in Jesus, you are complete. Now, gratefully, to help us understand and process such profound thoughts, we have Romans chapter 5. As complex as verses 12 through 21 are, we did 12, 13, and 14 last week, as complex as those are, they have a very specific purpose to show us the distinction of what Jesus has done for us that no one else could possibly do. It isn't possible in any other way. So while these verses talk a lot about Jesus, they're about you. They're about Jesus because it's about you. And I want you to see both aspects, how God is showing you himself and how he's showing you you in the midst of it. So let's just back up in order to go forward. I want to show you verse 12 again where we were at last week. Here it is on the screen. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now, we sufficiently took time to break that apart last week, and if you missed it, maybe it's because you couldn't drag yourself out of bed because of the time change. I'm so sorry. But you have the ability to get online and go back and, and look at that and really understand what we looked at last week. It will really help you put the pieces together of this week. But here's what we understand in a nutshell. Essentially, Paul made the case in verse 10 that in Jesus Christ, we are secure for eternity. Our relationship in Jesus will never fade. Death on this earth, physical death, eternal death, none of those will separate you from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord, according to God's own word. And based on those thoughts, we transitioned over into the more difficult parts of 12 through 21. In order for God to demonstrate the contrast for us between the first Adam human man, and Jesus, what the second Adam, the Bible calls Jesus, did for us. So go with me to verse 14. Verse 14 says this, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. He's talking about typology, and the Bible's really big on that, comparing types against each other. Adam was a type of Jesus. So catch this. Just as Adam was the head over a race, Jesus is the head over a new race. That's the contrast of the typology here. So he goes on to develop the contrast. Adam, he was given dominion over creation. He was made king over all the earth. God said to him, Adam, I want you to go out and subdue the earth and conquer it. Everything is under your foot. You are a steward of the entire planet. But he lost his kingdom. He lost his kingdom because he sinned. Now, only by grasping that, only by grasping the seriousness of the first Adam and the consequences of what he did, can you then appreciate the magnitude of what the second Adam did when he came. 
because of Adam's sin, as the progenitor of all humanity, all mankind is under the wrath of God. Now, typically, when people hear that, there's a pushback. Mentally, they begin thinking, wait, I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask to be put under the wrath of God. I didn't do what Adam did. Why am I under the wrath of God? Why am I born guilty under God's wrath? It isn't fair. Okay, let's go down fair for a moment. If fair is what we based it on, it was not fair that Jesus suffered for all humanity. If God were only fair, Adam and Eve would have been destroyed immediately because of the consequences of what they did. If God was only fair, it'd be the end of the human race. But get your amens ready for this, because God is not only fair, He is merciful and gracious. Yeah, you didn't need much coaching on that. I, I like the word just better than fair even. God is not only just. He is merciful and gracious. And it is only because He is merciful and not merely just that we can be saved. Therefore, Jesus came as a king over a new creation to bring a new order. And not only did he undo all the damage of Adam's sin, but he accomplished, as you're going to see in just a moment, much more. Get used to that phrase because it comes out a lot. He accomplished much more by making us the very children of God. Now that's verse 14. I'm anxious to get into verse 15 with you, but I want to hit the pause button for just a moment. When you come to difficult passages, as verse 15 and 16 and 17 are, that's all the further we'll go today, when you come into complex passages, it's really important for you when you're reading the Bible to ask two questions. Back up from the verse, if you don't understand it, and just ask yourself this question. What is the writer trying to communicate to me? In other words, what is the purpose in what he's written? Try and take the context and say, what, does they, what do they want me to know? And then the second one. How do I bring application from that to my life? You see, it's not that Paul's intent is to make it difficult. He's not writing this saying, well, I'm going to really confuse these people 2,000 years from now. That's not his design. He's working with really complex truths, which I know that you can get your head around. Because I'm no smarter than you, and I can understand it, but I have to have the benefit of working with it. So that's why I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to see things we can't see on our own. So here's what we do. We take the posture of somebody like Peter, and we recognize that some of the things that Paul wrote especially are hard things. Let me show you what Peter said. You'll see it on the screen in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. All right? So Peter's the fisherman. He's saying, this doesn't quite work with my brain every time I read Paul's writings. It doesn't always make sense, and it's hard to process. So if you struggle to comprehend certain things in the Bible, you find that you're not the only one to find things difficult to understand. So are you okay with being like Peter? Okay, I'm okay. I'm, I'm willing to say, all right, sometimes I'm thinking like a fisherman. Sometimes I can't always make sense of this. But notice what Peter said at the end. People will and people do distort things that they don't understand and they don't take time with especially if they fail to allow teaching into their life. So here's what that means. It is not impossible, but rather it requires attention to the detail. And it requires humble submission on our part to say, okay, I submit to God's word. 
God, will you help me understand this? That, that's the first component as we come into verse 15. Here's the second one. It is essential that you understand these things because God may very well ask you to speak into the life of someone else who's trying to make sense of things like this. Why is our world broken? Why is there so much wrong? Why are things going the way that they are? Because unless you understand those things, you can't really understand why you need a Savior. So God may use these things for you to speak into someone else's life. So under, to understand it better, a couple of general observations that are in your notes this morning, and I, I want to see them on the screen first so you can understand where I'm going with this. Here's some things that you need to see. The word one is used 11 times in this short passage. Why does he do that? Well, here's the key idea behind it. There's one Adam, and there's one Jesus, and we identify with both. We identify with the one Adam because of our humanity. But if we're a believer in Jesus, we identify with him. Here's the repetition of another word, the word reign. It's used five times. Adam reigns over a kingdom, and Jesus reigns over a kingdom. And here's the third word, this word much more. It's two words in the English language, but in the Greek language, it's one. And, and much more comes out a lot because it, we need to understand that in Jesus, we gain much more than we lost in Adam. So the only true parallel between Adam and Jesus is this. One brought death and one brought life. Scripture backs me up on that. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. It says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Now Paul's going to walk us through three really specific areas of distinction. Go with me into verse 15 and you'll see what I mean. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So his distinction right off the bat here is between Adam and Jesus, there's a difference. Adam's action and Jesus' action, totally different. The free gift is not like the transgression. So why does he distinguish the free gift? Free gift in the Greek language is this word charisma, and you'll see it in your notes. I'm going to turn my mic off so I can clear my throat. On Sunday, I said to myself, wow, I made it all winter long without getting sick. You know what came on Monday? <clears throat> okay. This word charisma has got a very specific meaning that we need to understand. You've heard the word charisma in the English language, and you think of somebody with a vibrant personality. Wow, they're very charismatic, right? That's not how the word was originally used. This word has been kind of filtered down throughout the years. Charisma actually has this basis of meaning, of understanding that it's something that comes only from God. It's a divine gratuity, something that God bestows, and it's miraculous, so we come back to what Paul just said, and he says the free gift, but yet we understand, wait, all gifts are free. How can it be a gift if it's not free? Why does he say free gift? Well, because it's referring to something very specific. Because it's given with gracious favor by God for something I didn't do. That's what a gift really represents, something you didn't do to earn it. So what you see in the very beginning here is a distinction in impact. I know your notes say distinction in use, 
but the very first one is distinction and impact. You see that on the screen. It's a distinction in the impact of what Jesus did. So the first contrast is a distinction between the grace gift of Jesus, the charisma, and the transgression of Adam because they're totally opposite. They're totally different things. When a charisma is used of something that's been given by God, it refers to something completely apart from all human effort, anything that you could have done on your own. So that's why Paul says the free gift, it's not like the transgression. So then we step back and say, okay, what does he want me to know from this? Why is he saying it in such a complicated way? What is the free gift of God? And then it clicks. We begin thinking, that's right. Jesus on the cross doing something that I could not do, dying for my sin. The free gift of God, the charisma of God, that which I did not earn, Him dying for me, that's the supreme act of charisma. And there comes this other word that's complicated, this word transgression. This one we're a little more familiar with. And it's got this basic meaning behind it. Behind that thought of a transgression, keep this one in your mind, is deviating from a path. When you see the Greek word for it on the screen, this word paraptoma, it makes you think that maybe it was an accident because it says it's a side slip. Like, oh, did they slip into it? They didn't see it coming? No, that's not what the thought is. The thought is this. You're walking down a path and you slip off the path in the way that you intentionally went to the side. It was not an accident. You're slipping away. In other words, there was a plan behind it. I can help you visualize that. When I was in flight school in college, uh, maybe some of you didn't know that, but my, my major in college, uh, well, one of multiple majors was aviation. And so um, in my freshman year, I show up to my very first day of class, and there's 97 students in this classroom who are all wanting to get out to the flight field. And, and we did. We learned all the rules. And eventually got to the point where we soloed and then get to the part where we get our private pilot's license. But the chief flight instructor who had responsibility for all of these students said to the freshmen, young men especially, guys, there's an area out there where you cannot go to. And it's an aerobatic region that's on the northeast side of Grand Rapids where other aerobatic pilots went to practice. We were told, you cannot go there. You can go anyplace else, but do not go there. Now, when you've got a bunch of 20-year-old young men who've just been given airplanes, where do you think they're going to go, right? <laughs> exactly, okay? So the one thing that we're told not to do, you may not go to the aerobatic area, mostly because he was doing it for our own good, because the planes that we were flying, they were not stress-rated for aerobatic maneuvers, but we're thinking, we're 20 years old, we're invincible, right? We can do whatever we want. Well, our thought was this. As we took off from the airport, there's no way he can see us because we're flying fast planes. We can get out of his vision of sight. We'll just go to where he can't see us and do what we want to do. What we didn't know is that the chief flight instructor had bought a very expensive pair of high-powered binoculars, right? So he's back at the airport with these babies mounted on a tripod, and he's lock watching us flying around like little bees out there, right? And when we get back, who's the first one to greet us? Who's the first one to see us get out of the plane and say, you had one place you were not supposed to go. One place. And you chose to go to that one place. 
This is exactly what Adam did. Adam's sin that he conferred to all of the offspring after him is the sin of deviation. Deviating from the one thing that God said. Don't go there, Adam. You can fly any place you want, but don't go to that one thing. And if you do, the consequences will be severe. It will cost you your life. And he deviates from the one command that God gave him to obey. So you see in verse 15, the impact. That's why I said the distinction and the impact. The impact is by the transgression of the one. Many died because of his decision. So two opposing actions here. And the impact is distinctive because the transgression brought death. And not just to Adam and Eve. The many died, it says in verse 15. Meaning the entire population should track this. By eating of the fruit of the tree... Adam departs from God's standard. He trespasses and goes to a place he's not to go to. He's entering into a forbidden realm. And instead of becoming more godlike, which is exactly what Satan offered him and said, in the day that you eat of the fruit, God knows that you'll be like him. You'll be able to discern good from evil. You'll be like God. And instead of being like God, he becomes less like God as a result of the fall. And therefore, drags all humanity down with him. Now there's an exercise I want you to do with me in the midst of this from this point to the end of verse 17. You're going to hear the word greater over and over and over again. So every time I go like this, I want you to say greater. Will you do that with me? So let's practice. One, two, three. Okay, that was a little weak for this many people. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Okay, because you're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about him being greater. So hear this. However, as bad as Adam's decision was, as much as he dragged humanity down with him, Jesus' one action had infinitely impact than Adam's. It was infinitely greater than Adam's decision. So Paul says in verse 15, much more, much more than what Adam did. Go back with me in verse 15 and see how he says it. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Now, greater in the Greek language is actually the word megas. So if you'd rather say megas, you can do that, okay? So what we're seeing Paul say is greater, much more than what Adam did. Jesus reverses the curse, but that would be incomplete. Even if that's true, and it is true, That thought is not complete because Adam's sin brings death. But Paul says Jesus did much more by providing more than just a way to be restored. He cleansed you and He separated you from all your sin. And so as a result, He provides a way not only for you to be restored and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, He provides a way for you to share in the full glory of God in eternity. That's why Paul says, much more than what Adam did. Now, the word more in the Greek language is not in your notes, but it's on the screen. and It's this word, malone. And this is why Paul used this word. Because when we try, it doesn't matter if it's a Greek language or the English language, when we try and structure words, we fall really short. So this word, malone, watch how it flows out in the definition. More. In a greater degree, plus better, times far, the more, and more, so much the more. You see why Paul can't capture that? Much more 
much greater than what Adam did. That's why you find John Kelvin writing down hundreds of years ago this thought that you'll see on the screen. Jesus Christ is much more powerful to save than Adam was to destroy. So get ready, church. God's grace is than man's sin. Chew on that. God's grace is greater than man's sin. What man could do to destroy and drag down, God obliterated because He's greater. Not only is it greater than the original sin of Adam, but check this. It's greater than all the accumulated sins of your past, of your present, and your future. Just let that wash over you for a minute. Everything you've ever done in your life, anything you're sitting with today, anything you can do from this day until the day that you draw your last breath, God's grace is greater than all that. It's greater than all your sin. Anything that you could do cannot separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why I say let that truth just wash over you. Adam's action had a one-dimensional effect. Death to everyone. But Jesus' action It has aspects beyond measure. He not only restores us to God, but He gives us the very life of God. That's why when Jesus is walking around on planet Earth, He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, that it would just flow out of them. Watch the way that Paul said it when he wrote to Timothy. He's a really old man, and he stages for us exactly what Jesus did. He said it this way in 2 Timothy 1.10. Our Savior... Christ Jesus abolished death. Now, we'd be good just with that, right? But don't miss the and word. Our Savior, Christ Jesus, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. See, as powerful as death is, death cannot break the power of Jesus because He's... Okay, say it. like you got four more times to do this, so say it like you really mean it, right? He's... Excellent. All right, people online can hear you. I hope you're saying that at home too. You're watching along with us. Don't miss out on the opportunity to celebrate who Jesus is. He's greater. Now, here I want you to do something with me. Would you all take your right hand and just put it up in the air? If you're able to do that. Okay, and just reach around to the back and just kind of pat yourself right there, okay? You just made it through verse 15, okay? Verse 16 and 17 are a breeze compared to verse 15. Okay, let's go to verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. Now, we just said there's a distinction in the impact. And here's the second one. There's not only a distinction in the impact, there's a distinction in the extent. This one's going to go much faster. Jesus' justification is than Adam's condemnation. 
Jesus' justification is greater than Adam's condemnation. And the basic truth that you just saw in verse 15 is this. By one man, one sin brought death and it brought God's judgment on everyone. But grace through Jesus, it's not like that, Paul says. God's judgment arose through one transgression. Just one thing, think about this. God hates sin so much. It only took one thing for God to condemn all of humanity to hell. For God to place all of everyone that's ever been born under His wrath because of one thing. Now track this. It's not that Adam's sin was far worse than any other. It's not that his sin was the, the worst thing ever done on planet Earth. It's simply that his was the first sin, the very first transgression by humanity. At the time, eating of the fruit was the only thing he could do against God because it's the only prohibition God had given. God said, you can go any place you want, but don't go to that one place. Don't do that one thing. Because God only placed one restriction, He could only disobey in one way. So just think about the simpleness of this. The guy ate a piece of fruit. Have you done worse than that? He ate a piece of fruit. But God said, not that. Don't choose that over me. You've got everything else. Don't go there. Human nature, we got free will. But that's what I want. That's, that's what I really, I really want that. Why? Because God said no. So in that, choosing that over God, one restriction condemns it all. Had it been possible, any disobedience would have had the exact same effect. Any sin committed would have condemned the whole human race. So don't get all haughty on Adam. Like, well, I didn't sin as bad as he did. No, right? We're, 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 we all disobey God. Adam's just the first one to do it. So greater than all that, I'll help you with that one. Here we go. Even more amazing, greater than God's hatred of sin is His love for the person behind the sin. You might be new to church today. You may have never heard this. Maybe somebody asked you to tune online and you're watching this at home. Maybe you've never heard this before. Greater than God's hatred of sin is His love for the person behind the sin. That's why Paul writes, the free gift, it arose from many sins, and the result is not simply restoration, but it's justification. This is a complicated quote I'm going to put on the screen. I really want you to chew through it with me. I'm going to read it slowly. But this, this theologian captured this thought really well. His name is John Murray. He said it this way, The free gift unto justification is of such a character that it must take the many trespasses, trespasses into its reckoning. 
It could not be the free gift of justification unless it blotted out the many trespasses. Consequently, the free gift is conditioned as to its nature and effect by the many trespasses. Just as the judgment was conditioned as to its nature and effect by the one trespass alone. And we'll leave that up there for a second. You could chew on it, but hear it this way. Despite the fact that God hates sin so much that just one sin could damn all of humanity, His loving grace is so great, it's so megas, that He provides not only for the redemption of the one man, Adam, but for the redemption of all humanity. That's what Scripture tells us. In the midst of many transgressions arose the justification. Look with me on the screen to back that up. That Jesus took on Himself the sin of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this, God was in Christ reconciling the world. The world to Himself. If the world would only receive Jesus' death was sufficient to cover the sins of the entire planet if the entire planet would respond and say, I believe not just those who are at New Hope or those who happen to be at other churches around the country today. Every single person could be saved if they would believe because He reconciled the whole world to Himself. Now, you just made it through verse 16. Let's do the last verse. It goes pretty quick. Verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, meaning Adam, death reigned through the one, meaning the one transgression, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. And he's talking about you. He's talking about believers in Jesus. Those who have received it will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So you've seen the distinction in impact. And you've seen the distinction in extent. Now you're going to see the distinction in ability. Meaning this, Jesus' sacrifice accomplished and produced exactly the desired result. Paul has shown us clearly that Adam's decision brought death to the entire population of planet Earth. Through one decision, death reigned but that was not the intent that's not what they set out to do they didn't eat of the fruit and say oh man i can't believe we get to condemn all of humanity no their intent was to become more godlike but instead of becoming more godlike they become less godlike so their intent was not accomplished they fell but the one action of Jesus produced exactly and completely the desired result because the intent of the cross was not only to bring you forgiveness of your sins, but that you would receive that free gift and as a result, you will reign with Him, church. You reign with Him. Verse 17, go with me back into it, the last part of it. Verse 17 says, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So the result of Adam's action is one-dimensional. It's death. 
the result of Jesus' action is multidimensional. It brings life, and life continues on and on and on, and it's abundant life because Jesus not only offers you life and eternal life, but he says, it's life so great that you get to reign with me through it, and it continues on and on. It abounds. John 10, 10. Process this, church. I came. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So as the redeemed of the Lord, if you belong to Jesus Christ this morning, you consider Him your Savior. You have not only received abundant life, but on top of that, you've been given righteousness and not your own righteousness. Praise God for that. You've been given the righteousness of God. Look with me on the screen one more time. 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the what? Righteousness. The righteousness of God. So when God sees you, He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your failures. He sees the righteousness of His own self. That which Jesus brought to you. He sees you through the lens of Jesus. The righteousness of God is placed upon you. And here's how we're going to close this thought. The first Adam, he disobeyed, and he took the entire human race with him in the wrong direction, trespassing against God, going into a no-fly zone. And no matter how devastating the sin, and no matter how devastating the effects of that first sin, the last Adam, praise Jesus, the last Adam comes on the scene. And because he's, here's your last one, because he's, say it like it's your last one. Because he's greater, he changes everything. He changes it all. Because he's greater, we possess the very righteousness of God and eternal life through God himself. So God is therefore your great transformer. And He brings a completeness in you you could never bring to yourself. So when you start thinking about Colossians 2 again, it's the verse we started with. In Him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him, you have been made what new hope complete you lack nothing God sees you through the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's good stuff that's that's something only God can do I hope you leave here encouraged today the people who are about to get into that tank behind me they know this Maybe, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know what Jesus did for you. They understand what Jesus did. And therefore, they're willing to say, this is who I am. I'm willing to be baptized. Would you pray with me right now that God would seal these truths in your heart? Let's pray together. Father, for every single person who's, who's part of this right now, some will watch it delayed, some are watching it live, and, and many are here in the auditorium. But God, I ask that you would seal this truth for us that you would make it so prevalent in our heart that we would not doubt this week whether or not you've forgiven us.
you've made it incredibly clear and you've made it so transparent. It's like crystal, Father. We can see what Jesus did and we can see who we are. And even in spite of who we are, your grace is greater. Thank you, Father, for the truth that's been revealed through the power of your Holy Spirit. So here's what I ask you for, Father. I ask you for every single one of these individuals that they would walk more boldly as they name the name of Christ, realizing who you have made us to be. Father, for those who are here that may not know you yet, I pray that you be so close to them that they can't escape the grip of your Holy Spirit who surrounds them right now trying to draw them into relationship with you. You said you're not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So Father, I pray that you would do that. Draw them into relationship with you. Remind us we can be forgiven of everything, our past, our present, and our future sins, but only because of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.